Hey, what's up guys? Today we have what is perhaps the oldest question in the book, one that mankind has been asking itself since the beginning of recorded history, and one that I think every single human being comes face to face with individually at some time in their life. And that is, why do bad things happen to good people? Or another way it's often put is, why is God, who's supposed to be good, allowing evil things to happen to people? If he loves us so much, then why all this evil? Fair, fair, fair question. And I'm going to begin like this. I'm going to relate a story of a man named Viktor Frankl. Those of you who may be familiar with Viktor Frankl's story uh, that's told in his book that leads to his ultimate uh, development of his form of personal development called logotherapy. But even beyond all that, Viktor Frankl was a man who was a Jew living in Nazi Germany. And like I alluded to before, he was a psychologist, so he was a well-read, well-studied man. He, he was an upstanding citizen, and he had a wife, and he had two children, and he lived in a suburb similar to many of those that we live in in the United States. He wore a suit, he had nice watches, and he went about his life building his profession as a psychologist with a practice and people that he would treat. And at some point, the, the political climate of his country turned in such a way that he and many of the people like him, Jews in Germany at this particular time, were swept up out of their homes, removed from their family and separated. Their clothing was removed and they walked naked. And all of that which they built up in their life including their material wealth, and for him, it was a lot of his intellectual wealth, books that he's written, were swept away, sold, burned, and then being separated from that which is the, the closest thing to life and love for most people, which is your family, and to realize that you'll never see them again because your wife went off on a train with women, your children were sent off on a train with other children, and you, as naked as they were when they were ripped away from you, hop on a train and go live amongst neighbor, uh, strangers in a concentration camp. He describes this stripping of his dignity and his humanity and being treated like an animal. It's a sick, sad, depressing situation, but it's not one that's too unique or rare in the course of human history, I mean, it's been done to African slaves, it's probably being done today. It's, 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 it's just one of these things that, uh, like you ask, is evil in what should be a good world. It's a bad thing happening to seemingly good people. Viktor Frankl is an interesting guy because he is a thinker, he's an observer, and also an author and a, and a server of mankind. So although he felt as if his life was coming to an end, and most people's were. Living in these concentration camps, he still maintained his sense enough to observe what was going on around him and to take notes as to the, the psychological pain and then the subsequent uh, downward spiral of those living in these horrific conditions. 
His wife was killed, and he knew it. He'd never see his children ever again, and he knew it. And on a daily basis, he would walk out into the freezing cold, not by his own fruition, by, by the way, but because there was a gun being held to his back, along with a line of other Jews in these concentration slave camps. And uh, he may have had on a rag or something that may have clothed him somewhat, but he'd be freezing fucking cold and asked to break up the ground, which was frozen, you know, and, and imagine he hasn't eaten very much food in perhaps months at this point, so he's lost about 60 pounds. And, uh, and they're given shovels, and they're asked to go out into the frozen ground and dig ditches so that the, uh, their oppressor could use their slave labor in order to build railroads and so on and so forth. So here you have a man who once knew what it was like to live a warm, comfortable, self-actualizing life with people that he loves, to now freezing cold and naked, digging ditches, and when he's fed, because it was very rare that he would re receive food, there would be a big vat with heated up water and a few potatoes thrown in. And he relates all this in his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. So you can read this story also. And, uh, you know, from time to time, there might be a piece of meat thrown in this big vat of water. And, uh, and then they would scoop it out and everybody get a bowl. And you get a bowl of this hot water with like some uh, very sparse nourishment in it. If you got a piece of potato or you got a piece of meat in it, it was like striking the lotto. And he talks about one day being, I, I think at some point he, become, he, he was punished because of, uh, you know, some discretion. You know, he, he whined, he, he, he yelped when someone hit him. I don't know, it was horrific conditions. But anyway, he was in, uh, in a confinement for those who had uh, breached conduct. And he was brought a bowl of this soup, if you will. And he relates the experience of looking into the bowl of soup and seeing a tiny piece of potato. And in observing that piece of potato, he describes what has been called many different things th from th through the mouth, through the lips of enlightened people that have walked this earth and taught us as a deep and profound sense of peace, nirvana, or heaven, if you will, in that moment. He felt a deep and profound sense of joy and pleasure, happiness. He even breaks out into laughter and he feels the warmth of joy in his heart for receiving this bowl of soup that contained a piece of potato. That was a good thing happening to him. Not only in his rationale, because he was an intelligent man who could say, well, you know, uh, like, like I often do in these videos, I'm just talking. They're all just perspectives, they're ideas, it's very abstract. He felt, and you know how often I talk about the importance of feeling. Thinking and talking is very shallow. And that's why these videos only do one, th they're meant to do one thing, but to instill a feeling in you. He felt joy at that moment. He didn't think about it or intellectualize it like many of you do. Well, I should be happy, right? No, you're not. You're not happy and that's what it is. He was happy. A good thing was happening 
to a good person, and if you looked at it, say you'd say, fuck, why is God so evil? He would argue with you in that moment. If you walked into that cellar at that particular moment, saw him naked with bones sticking out of his skin, looking at a bowl of hot water with a tiny piece of potato, and you said, boy, why is God so bad? Why does evil things happen? He'd look at you and say, joy and he relates this experience so why do I tell you this and, and what does this have to do with well you know well why is God or why is the universe or why is Allah allowing evil things to happen to seemingly good people because from your perspective walking into that room you're going to say evil shit happening to a good guy he would look at his bowl of soup and say <laughs> and be overjoyed and full of pleasure. What the fuck is going on? Makes no sense, does it? You could be wrapped up in all of your judgment about what's going on at that particular moment based on your experiences and the stories you've been told since you were a child about what good and evil is, and he's sitting in the shit and glowing with happiness. Now, you could say, well, he's lost his mind because he hasn't eaten in a very long time and he's, he's sick, sad, and depressed. He's a, he's a maniac because he's a slave who hasn't eaten and is in this horrific condition. If you get a chance to read the book or to study any of the work of this man, you'll see that he was very cognizant of what was going on throughout the entire time. And that's why his, his books and his, his interviews although he doesn't live today, but you know, he passed not too long ago, was such a blessing, such a gift to mankind. Because not only did he just roll with the punches and make the best out of things, he observed and he, he, he although he felt a visceral joy, he concluded based on his years of study in the realms of psychology and philosophy. So not only does he have the experience, but he has the way, to, the, the way of sharing it with you. So now, I'm going to back up for a moment and I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you a number of things that have been profound for me in my life. The very first of which is a part of a poem that comes from a Sufi poet by the name of Rumi, R-U-M-I. And it's very simple, but yet very profound what he says in one of his poems when he alludes to the facts and invites his reader to consider that there is a field, there's a place beyond good and evil. I will meet you there. In other words, he's preparing his reader for a conversation where we can set aside the judgments of good and evil because they're merely ideas, they're merely judgments, they're merely tools that humanity has used in order to understand the world we live in. Much of our technology is a byproduct of our understanding of the, the dualism, the, the didactic nature of nature, sun and moon, 
zero, one, digital. The reason why you're watching me is because of a series of zeros and ones. It's this contrast between black and white. This, 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 this thing. Life just does this. Systole, diastole. Good, evil. So we've been able to use this digital technology to navigate our way into this amazing, incredible time that we live in where I can talk to this lens and you can see it in Croatia. You can see it in New Zealand. So I'm not saying what I'm, what I'm about to say, I'm prefacing what I'm about to say, not as a judgment again against the idea of dualism, but to share with you how everything that comes from this field that Rumi talks about is a unity of good and evil. There's no one without the other. And that's why he says beyond the good and evil judgments, there's a place. And that place could be nothing more than a unity, a unification of good and evil. It's all these things. Isaiah, I believe, I keep referring to in the Old Testament. I create good, I create evil, I create all these things. I create the light, I create the darkness. God is all these things. So, Rumi shares that, shares that idea with you, a Sufi poet. Sufism is an is a outgrowth of Islam. Islam is an Abrahamic religion. The Abrahamic faith, or the lineage, uh, uses many ancient texts, including one called Genesis. And, you know, if you're, if you're a Jew, if you're a Christian, if you're a, uh, a Muslim, or any variation thereof, you're familiar with the story of Genesis. And those of you who watch my videos long enough, you realize that I'm completely objective about all these ideas. I love wisdom. I love mythology. I love psychology. I love religion. But I'm not religious, meaning I don't hold on to anything. I use it. Right? And let it go. So, what I'd like to do now is go to the roots of our psychological development as a race of human beings, as is described in the ancient poem of Genesis, that describes why we've become cast out from this garden of good and evil. And how partaking of this tree of wisdom was our greatest blessing and curse. Right? The Garden of Eden. Mankind, the story goes that mankind makes his way, and he's got male and female. And at some point, a, and he's living in nirvana. He's living in heaven. He's living in Eden. It's fucking beautiful. Things are great. There's two of everything, and everything's together. The woman comes from the man, right? It does, it's not about which came first and which one's better. The fact is that they're one flesh. And all the animals, there's male and female, there's night and day. I mean, everything's going smoothly because everything always goes smoothly. But the reason why it's nirvana is because Adam and Eve didn't eat the tree of wisdom yet. They didn't eat from the tree of wisdom, meaning they have no fucking wisdom. 
They're like pigs in slop. They're happy. Right? And I say pigs in slop because there's a level of ignorance associated with that form of, of animal on this earth that we have transcended because we ate that beautiful apple. They're hanging out. Shit is great. Good things are happening to good people. And evil things just don't exist. Right? Because there's no perspective for it. It's just the way it is. Everything's just the way it is. Man, the Garden of, of, of Eden must have been great. Right? How many people live their lives trying to get back to this place? Right? They live their lives trying to go to heaven. You know what they're trying to do? To go back to where everything was one. And there was no judgment between good and evil. That's what heaven is. And all these people who live their life trying to be good have lost the fucking point. They're trying to be good so that they can go to a better place. As opposed to realizing that the world is one thing, it is what it is. The Tao is called the Tao. It's the way. And if you just kind of go with the flow and stay as objective as possible, you don't feel bad feelings. And you also gain a perspective where you can actually have what are seemingly evil things turn into some of the most resourceful things that have ever happened to you and that you could use to bless mankind, like Viktor Frankl. Do you understand? As the story goes, a snake. Now, you got to understand the symbolism of a snake. A snake has always represented wisdom. I mean, if you look in uh, the, the Egyptian hieroglyphs, right? What do they call it? The, the pictures, the pictorials, where they teach shit. Why is there always a fucking snake on the, on the real wise guy's heads? Like the dudes that they're sort of like respecting, they're bringing him gifts and shit, he's got a snake on his head. Because for the longest time, the snake, the serpent, has represented wisdom. And a part of the reason why, and there are many different reasons why the snake represents this, is because of the snake's ability to shed his past. He's, he has this ability to sort of shed himself, to be beyond himself and leave himself over there. If you ever look at a snake's skin, a snake is over there, but he's also over there. Do you understand? He's able to shed himself of the experiences and growth of life and be objective from it. That's one of the many reasons. Others are, you know, the whole idea that it's, it's, it slithers, meaning it's very close. It's, its belly, its roots are very close to the earth, but yet it could, it could stand up on tail and become almost human-like in its ability to be erect. Being erect, standing up, is very... Uh, our biology is a part of reason why we have our psychology. Your body is your mind, I often say. So the snake can bring itself upright. And in doing so, it lines itself up in the same way uh, that an antenna lines itself, lines itself up. And the human being lines himself up, which allows him to access frequencies. Right? We are walking fucking antennas. Right? No other animal does this. If there's another animal that walks around the way we walk around all the time, with its genitals and, and eyes in front, then it would be a human being because it would have access to frequencies that only human beings have. When I say frequencies, I mean literally frequencies, but also intelligence and understanding. And it would, have, it would have developed in this particular way. Those that are close to us, like apes, have a little bit, they're a little closer to us in their psychology, but look at their body also, right? They can, they can be logical, like we can be logical. Now they don't have it developed the same way we have it, right? We're just a little bit more evolved but they stand up. That's why they not only look like us, but they are like us in many ways. So this animal that represents wisdom comes and says to Adam and Eve, who are living in bliss, 
they're all naked and they're cool. And, and being naked is an interesting thing because although she has a penis and he has a vagina, good, evil, black, white, male, female, notice this, penis, vagina, or vagina, penis, penis, vagina. They're not ashamed, meaning they don't recognize that there should be some sort of judgment placed on their difference. They're just like, there it is, there it is, great, we're awesome. He shows up and explains to them, look, now, the boss knows some shit you, you guys don't know. The boss, has had, the boss has some wisdom. The boss has some power. Right? They say he created all this. I tell you this, young Adam and easily seduced Eve, right? That if you eat from this tree of wisdom, Notice, it's not the tree of sinfulness, it's not the tree of damnation, the tree of wisdom, of good and evil. You too will have the power that the boss has. Interesting and tempting proposition. Well, as the story goes, they say, Let's go for that ride, baby. As soon as they eat that piece of fruit, boom, their eyes are opened. Penis, vagina, cover your shit up. Holy cow, the shit is going crazy. Nothing changed but their perspective. Nothing in the world changed at that moment. When Eve and Adam ate that apple, the world didn't go whoop, evil. What happened was their eyes were open and they saw and they were ashamed because they were able to judge between the differences. The judgment between the differences allows for our technology, like I said before, zeros and ones, and you know, we, we use the, 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 just the whole digital era as a byproduct of that wisdom. But also, it allows us to make judgments based on the feelings we have in our bodies. Now, feelings are just feelings. Feelings are just feelings. They're, they're, they're warnings or they're tellers of what's going on. But there's no judgment, really, there's no good or bad feeling. They're just feelings. And there are ones I'd like a little bit more of and ones that I'd like a little less of. But the minute we start saying good and evil, good and bad, We start attaching all types of associations to the two different ends of, of a coin. You flip a coin, it's still a fucking quarter. There's not a good side and a bad side. It's all the same thing, just like the Garden of Eden was all the same thing, but now you go like this. Oh, one must be good, one must be bad. So now we have language to describe the experiences in life that give us feelings that we would rather have less of. The dangerous thing about words is that it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. You have a feeling, you give it a word, you give it a symbol, right? Words are symbols. Evil. Let's use that word evil. I have a feeling I don't like. I call it bad. It's a bad feeling. If I recognize that my feeling, which really has no, there's no judgment on my feeling, but now I call it bad, 
is bad, it's a feedback loop which says, bad, bad, bad. And you start attaching to the symbol. You know, they say don't worship false idols. You know what idols we, we worship more than anything? Words, right? The word evil and the word good. We come to worship it, bow down to good and fight against evil. We're worshiping ideas based on a new form of wisdom that only humankind has about the dichotomy of nature. What does this all have to do with good things happening or bad things happening to good people? When you say bad things happen to good people, you're committing the greatest sin, the greatest misunderstanding that Rumi was alluding to when he said, let's go beyond good and evil and play in this field. You're perpetuating the idea that perhaps eating the, the, the fruit of good and evil removed us from some sort of joy that should, all, should be ever present on earth and in our lives. But that's just a judgment. It's just an idea. It's as abstract as anything else. You're playing the game of feeling bad. You're playing the game of good and evil. Go back to the Garden of Eden before we, our eyes were opened in this way, and guess what you find? Nirvana, the Garden of Eden. Heaven. Heaven is an experience of oneness between seeming opposites. You need good and evil. But good and evil are just words to describe two opposites of the way it is. You see, I think it's brilliant that the Taoists call this the way. They have no word for God. They call it Tao. Tao translates into the way. It's just the way it is. Now, there are going to be those of you who are watching this and you say, Elliot, yo, that's fucked up because, you know, there are starving children in Africa, in Asia, in other parts of the world. And you, you live in America where things are good. You got oil, and you got cars, and you got food, and you got air conditioning. Good, evil. When you say that, you're once again perpetuating the miss, the sin, the original sin associated with the Garden of Eden. This is where we were cast out. We were cast out in our psychology, in our psyche we were cast out. So I should feel guilty, right? Based on the way you describe it, I should, be guil I should feel guilty for what the way has created and I happen to be just a, a leaf flowing in the wind of the way. I, don't, I can't take full credit for being here, but I should feel guilty because the way has also created a way where there are those who don't have. Judgment, 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 judgment. Judgment day. Judgment day is right now. We're living in hell. Because we do this. Now I'm not saying to be hard-hearted or apathetic about the pain of others. 
What I'm saying is that the most important thing for us as individuals either living in concentration camps where we were stripped from all that we experienced to be good. That's the toughest way to experience pain. Not I was born hungry. You have no contrast. A starving baby in Africa is not that upset because there's no contrast. It's like this is earth. This is how I feel. I'm dying now. There's no, there's no judgment. But a man who knows both will still tell you, I've reached nirvana. I understand the Garden of Eden. I experienced heaven on earth. Because he put aside the judgments. I'd like to finish with this. Number one, just to reiterate, good and evil are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other in the same way that you can't have daytime without nighttime. Life does this. It's a part of the reason why the snake is so interesting, because it does this. It just lets go of its skin and keeps going. We have pain when we recognize contrast and attach judgment to the different types of contrast. Good, sunshine. Light is good, darkness is evil. That's a fucked up one. That gets us into a lot of trouble. Lightness is good and dark is evil, so give me all light. You know what's gonna happen? The, sun, the fucking the earth will scorch. Give me all sunshine and light, no darkness. That would be a sick, sad day because you would be more miserable than you've ever been because that type of imbalance will fry you like an egg. The night cools the day. And it will always be that way. As long as night follows day, there will be things that you judge as evil happening to what you judge as good people. Okay? It's just the way it is. The minute you find yourself making judgments about me and what I'm saying right now, check yourself and go back to it. Go back to everything I just said. Set aside your judgments. Set aside your feelings and the judgments of your feelings. And experience what I just said. Even if you have to turn it off because you can't stand my fucking face. Because you think it's an ugly face. It's your judgment. Set it aside for a moment and go to that field beyond it. And you might find something there. Number one. Number two in our individual lives. When things happen that you don't like, you might label as evil. Understand that within every single bad, within every single evil, within every single pain is the seed for pleasure. One never exists without the other. So when your life sucks, recognize right away. Use your beautiful brain to gain or at least brainwash yourself for the perspective that there is also a good in there. You have to do this, otherwise you're going to be so attached to the evil that you'll make yourself sick, sad, depressed, and you're going to die a fucked up loser like most of us do and have to come back and do this again. You're going to hell, and you already live in it. 
So you'll just keep burning. When bad shit is happening to you, you, look for the silver lining in the cloud. That's not a hippie saying. That's not just an admonition to think happy thoughts. It's the way it fucking is. The way the world works. It's nature. It's science. It's you can't have negative without positive. It just works that way. Get that through your head. And also, when things are going great, make sure you recognize that the table will turn at some point. So when things are going good, I always say this, I quote Abdu'l-Baha, be generous in times of prosperity and thankful in times of adversity. You see the dichotomy? It's the most natural thing. And finally, this is a long video. Check my watch, because I got a dentist appointment. I got some bad things happening. My teeth need to be extracted. Finish up now. And finally, you watch others who suffer, who are in pain that it's described merely by you and your judgment, because many times you go to, I hear stories, and I've been in third world countries, that's another judgment, and I look at people who don't have a tenth of what I have, and the look in their eye is of joy, peace and pleasure. They have everything, much more than many of us have with our fancy cars and air conditioning. They don't take pills for being sad. They don't have to go to doctors to tell them and talk about why they're, they can't breathe. They don't have anxiety. They have the way. They enjoy it. But you might make a judgment on that. And oftentimes, that's when you fuck up those native cultures, because you bring in what you think is good. Here's all the good stuff I've got. Here's a big giant cross, because it always begins that way. I've got Jesus Christ who's going to save us all, and technology. And you begin to tell them why this is good. What I've got is good. Poor soul. You have no shoes. And then you start fucking their heads up, and then they want Jesus Christ and technology. And then, you know, as the world goes, right? <laughs> that's just what we do. Right? I mean, and, and, then we, and, then, and then we sit back and wonder why the Amazon is being destroyed. Oh, we, another evil then. The evil of the destroying of the Amazon. We just got to stop. You got you to stop. You just got to stop. Continuing with your judgment on someone else or another circumstance that for some reason, you don't need to judge it, but you feel compelled to do something about I feel compelled to feed starving children. Then you just do it without any judgment. You don't do it because you're fighting evil. That's the dumbest fucking thing in the world. Because you know what happens when you fight evil? You get more evil so you can keep fucking fighting. It doesn't end. Or because I'm bearing fruits of good. No, you're not bearing fruits of good. Because when you, create, when you bear fruits of good, guess what? With a fucking basket of good comes a basket of evil. You're not going to win. You do it because your heart's telling you to do it and that's all. I feel as if I should feed these people. You just do it. Don't judge it. Do it. I speak to upwards to a million 
mostly young men through these videos on a daily basis. I can sit here and say, I'm doing good. I'm helping people. I'm working to combat the forces of evil that's oppressing your minds and bodies. It's all a fucking judgment. None of that is true. I do this because that's what an Elliot does. It's just what's happening here. It's just the way.